0: Following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com.
1: Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash.
0: Gordon's alive. Welcome to
1: Flash,
0: Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of planet Mongo, Eric.
2: It is minute seventy-nine of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you tonight? You know the law,
1: Brad. Outside their own podcasts, the powerful host becomes a mere guest.
2: Yeah. Okay. That, <laughs> that, that was sort of a big way to say it, but yeah, that's that's how guests work. So, uh, so speaking of which. Please introduce our guest.
1: From Reopening the Wormhole, a Deep Space Nine podcast,
3: Kevin Young. Hey, so glad to be back with you guys again this week, or today. <laughs> 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 do you guys do these weekly or daily? I actually don't even know. We, we
2: are thrice <laughs> weekly. Thrice.
3: <laughs> awesome. Great. Cool. Well,
2: one would take too damn long, and five would just be too damn much.
3: Yeah, I don't know how some of those Minute Maker dudes do it
2: i don't either i i've guessed it on ones that do five and uh, by
1: the end of the session
2: i'm completely yeah, shot it's, it's yeah it's challenging i believe it previous minute by minute we did uh, uh i did with um ryan clary was um in of darkness where it was about uh, the movie army of darkness and uh, that was a uh, that was five times a week and there would literally be times where my wife's looking at us like, Aren't you going to work? It's like, I, I will in a minute. I almost have this out. I almost have this out. It's like, uh, Your priorities are terrible.
1: Although, <laughs> well, then again, uh, as, as a former guest of Kevin's podcast, we recorded, uh, I'm pretty sure it lasted more than two hours, the one episode.
3: Oh, um, well, our recording sessions regularly last about three and a half hours these days. Yeah, it's Zooks. <laughs> We only release one a week, but it's usually almost always over two-hour episodes. We've they've ballooned out of proportion. They used to they started out just like you know hour and a half or so every episode, but these days we struggle to keep them under three hours. So, <laughs> yeah, we've got a like a base of people who somehow have enough time to listen to a three-hour podcast every week. Yeah, it's okay. Podcasts and, are great
2: for that because you could just listen to it piecemeal. So yeah, it works.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, we're really excited to have you uh, with us again. Um, but let's let's dive in, Eric. What happens in minute seventy nine? All right. So uh,
1: as I referenced in the opening, there, um, Baron is is angry at Voltan uh, that uh, they're not they, they're not going to bring him with them. The Hawkmen are evacuating the city, and they tell Baron, Flash, Dylan Zarkov, "We're not bringing you with us. We got too much stuff to carry. No one no one could carry you." Uh, and so when Baron objects to this. Voltan says well you know Ming's law outside his own kingdom the hunter becomes the hunted and um, I just found that interesting because Baron actually was hunted in his own kingdom that's the reason why he's in Hawkman City in the first place the Hawkman went to Arborea and captured yeah
2: the, the logic on this is pretty weak first off yeah if that's the case then why the heck is Voltan flying away you're in your own kingdom so. Well, well, I guess because Ming doesn't have to follow his own law Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, but, you know, why bring it up? Uh, the, the logic of this argument, just top to bottom, is a little screwy, because then Voltan's walking away, and Baron just, just calls him a traitor. It's like, hey, how come? Uh, you can say he's a coward. You know, he's got a wings. Call him a chicken, for God's sake.
1: Uh, that that would not sit well with you. We know your your feelings on calling someone chicken in a movie.
2: I I, uh, I, have a, well, I am well. I'm on record of my distaste for the movie Back to the Future Two because apparently Marty could not handle being called chicken. Uh, but you know, but he he's not a but Marty doesn't fly. He doesn't have wings. I'm thinking to a hawkman chicken. That's that's that's. That's a racial slur.
3: <laughs> well, I was gonna ask, do they even have chickens in this world? Are chickens even an animal that they are familiar with?
2: I would just hope so. I, and I just could see a thing where the hawkmen, yeah, if, you know, if they're calling themselves hawkmen, if there's, that's Hawks a good gotta point. Mean Something yeah. chicken, <laughs> and I could just see a scene later, you know, something on the cutting room floor where they, you know, it's okay for them to call each other chicken. <laughs>
3: They're taking that word back.
2: You make a good point about the use of the word
1: traitor, though. I thought the same thing. Like, you know, Baron's calling him a traitor, and it's just sort of, huh? Like,
2: what is he being a traitor to?
3: Tra- traitor to Baron, I guess?
2: Yeah, the, traitor to the guy that he hates. And yeah. uh, let's be honest, the, the traitors here are Baron, and they're right to be tra- to, to be traitors. But Baron, is uh, he, he's the one trying to overthrow his sovereign so i hate to point fingers but that's you're sort of going towards the wrong there's a pot in the kettle situation happening so uh so, so but yeah voltan he's he's flying off and <laughs> well what, what's next eric i want to see if you point out something that i that, that caught my attention
1: huh okay uh we'll be f- uh, uh... The next point I was going to make is that uh, our friend Luro, uh, uh, Voltan's number two guy, has some pretty cool physical acting that I want to call out by the actor here. That as as Voltan's talking, they show Luro taking some deep breaths and puffing his chest out and giving this little silent growl as uh, Voltan tells them, you know, we're bailing and we're not taking you guys with us. So I just wanted to give a little little salute to the actor there for that.
3: Oh, yeah, he does. That's great. I didn't even notice that. Really glaring at them. And I also love Brian Blessed. I just want to give a shout out to him in this in this whole movie, really. But particularly from this point on, he's just like John Rhys-Davies unleashed, like maximum <laughs> level. And like when he says, like, it's too much, it's more than we can carry. And he's like running out of breath as he says it. And it's just like, boy, he's just.
2: He is acting the hell out of it. He is acting the
3: hell he out sure of it. He sure is.
1: And, you know, it's incredible that, you know, he really is one of the most popular and and most remembered characters in this movie for good reason. But uh, I, I mentioned this uh, oh, a few weeks ago. His character is really barely in the movie until about, you know, 10 minutes ago or so of movie time. And now suddenly in the last half hour of the movie, he's a, he's one of the major roles. But he ba- really is barely in the movie up until this point.
3: Yeah, pretty much just that fight scene in Ming's Hall, right?
2: Yeah. There's the thing. I've talked a little bit. We've been lucky enough we've had some uh, great actors on uh, who, who, who've agreed to come on last well, last week having Matt Oberg, who was amazing. Um, but we've had some people and the, uh, the guys from Point Break Minute, Murrin um, and Jessa, uh, who are uh, wonderful actors as well. And... Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I've mentioned a, a lifetime ago I did a little bit of theater stuff and it, it, Voltan's the role that the lead character actress playing lead characters usually just makes him crazy because Voltan is the part where he doesn't have to do any of the heavy lifting story wise and he gets all the best scenes, all the best jokes and he's everyone's favorite because he gets to be crazy. He gets to be goofy and funny and loud. And he, you know, poor uh, Sam Jones, the, the narrative rests on his shoulders. And Brian Blessed gets to be crazy and over the top and hilarious. And uh, I, I imagine, I would love to know, like, see Sam Jones watching this and just seeing Brian Blessed chewing up all the scenery and just thinking, it's like, ah, I didn't get to do stuff that fun it's a it's a role that you get jealous of and people are often want to be it's like wanting to be the pitcher in baseball it's like oh everybody wants to be the lead everyone wants to be the main guy it's like no you know what sometimes the most fun part is the little not not even comedy relief but the the larger than life character who just has a few lines and then doesn't show up again until the third act
3: yeah yeah i mean my experience with acting is limited, but I remember being in a friend's student film, like, many years back, and I got to play the role of, like, this, like, sort of, like, devil on someone's shoulder, and he asked me to, you know, overact it like crazy, and at at the end of the day, that was, like, the, the most fun role to play by far, because, like, for instance, the role of playing Flash Gordon is, like, a thankless role, because <laughs> he, like, he doesn't get to do any of this crazy, like, Brah! shouting stuff that, that Brian Blessed does all the time, and he just does it so well, too. Do you guys know if that's his real beard?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I that's, that's just...
3: Okay, thank God. I just would be, I'd just be devastated <laughs> if it wasn't.
2: Basically, um, our view is that Voltan is, brought, is uh, Brian Blessed downplaying it.
3: <laughs> that makes me want to see him not downplaying it.
2: Uh, Eric, in a previous minute, somebody talked about there was an actor who was interviewed who talked about acting against Brian Blessed, and he got injured because... Blessed was just such a, a physical actor. Do you remember this? And I remember the jokes that we had is like I think it's just probably something that happens if you're in British theater. Is like eventually you will get injured and sent to the hospital by Brian Blessed, and it's probably just something that all the other actors talk about. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so uh, some, some great Brian Blessed stuff, and uh, you know this is Voltan scared, and he's had some emotional range because he was angry. He was gonna just beat the crap out of Flash for setting all this in motion, and now he's really scared. He he knows he's overmatched by Ming's forces. He knows this is not going to be received well. And I think Voltan also knows that he's, as big and blustery as he is, he knows he's hanging by the thread at all time, And and we've talked about it in previous minutes, where Ming keeps Voltan around probably partially because he just finds him amusing, but his he's he's not going to keep him around forever, and he's not going to keep him, and he's not going to suffer too much from him. And this is all the excuse he needs. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is after the Hawkmen are gone, and they are uh, Flash. God bless him. He's still trying to figure things out, and he's talking about putting together a parachute and uh, gives Zarkov... Just a great opportunity to just zarkov it up because he's <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's talking about oh don't worry it's fifty miles but you know you you hit terminal velocity in a few hundred feet it's like okay thanks Dick. why don't you tell us how to fix something
3: yeah how, how is that even comforting <laughs> like, even if we do hit terminal velocity we're still going to hit the ground and like die like painfully <laughs> I also. T- I took the liberty of looking up how many feet it takes to hit terminal velocity, and assuming that air resistance on this planet or this area is similar to Earth, it'd be more like 1,500 feet. But even so, I don't even understand what he's trying to accomplish by saying that he's just, like you said, Zarkov it up, (laughs) which I love. I also, I love Zarkov in general. He's, he's the best. He's
2: great, and he's, he's not really a good guy. He was just, he's just, the least evil person that Flash has run into, and the only other human on the planet, so they're cool. Uh, basically, it's as if you get transferred by your job, and there's only two guys from your hometown that got transferred. It's like, you're going to be friends with him anyway. It's like, yeah, he... Kidnapped me, held me a gunpoint. I think he hit me in the back. Might have given me a minor concussion when he hit me on the back with the butt of the gun, but
3: eh. At least he's not a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you.
2: At least he doesn't deflate and his eyes pop out if you stab him. But...
3: <laughs> well, so we think. Maybe if he ever got stabbed, that would happen. Has anybody ever come on this show to talk about Tulpole and Fiddler on the Roof? Because I was so thrilled when I watched this the other day to see him in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah, back when. Way back at the beginning of the movie, uh, when he first showed up on screen, uh, we did a yeah. We talked about how you know Fiddler on the Roof is you know clearly what he's most famous for.
3: Yes, yeah, for sure. I just I had no idea he was in this even in this movie, and it was exciting to see that he's basically acting the same but saying all this you know funny kind of techno babble jargon stuff. But he sounds just like a Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof, which you know I'm a big musical theater person, and I was very excited to see that. <laughs> He ended up being like a highlight for them, for me, for this movie.
1: Oh, that's yeah. I'll I'll repeat the story then that I said because uh, at this point everyone's probably forgotten it because it was so many episodes ago. Um, I remember telling someone years ago that this was one of my favorite movies, and he was like, ah, and he had, this is someone who had never seen it before, and he was like, oh, I've seen you know scenes from that. It looks horrible, and and I was trying to convince him why he should watch it, and he was someone who was into uh, plays and theater. And so I said, as a way of convincing him to see it, I said, you know, Topol's in it. And he, he started like, oh, if I want a rich man. like he, he <laughs> laughed about that. Like, I meant it as a way of telling him it's a good movie, he should watch it. And he totally turned it around on me and just goofed on me saying, oh, well, Topol's in it. Oh, well. <laughs>
3: yeah because he's basically acting the same as Tevya, who is you know a poor jewish man like <laughs> from the turn of the century so there's no reason these two characters should have anything in common and yet it basically just seems like they dress Tevya in future clothes and that's what he's doing here <laughs> and i love it i love him for it
2: yeah well and i mentioned i, I don't think i've ever seen like all i know of him as Tevya is I want to say, like, PBS would just play the hell out of a stage performance every year during, um, you know, fundraising. And it's amazing how, and I know he was in the the movie version of it, but that was just because Tubble was so um, just associated in everyone's mind. And it's so rare that one actor is so strongly associated with another, one role... To the exclusion of almost anything else. I, I'm thinking basically it's like this, and, you know, Paul Hogan is Co- Crocodile Dundee. That's it. it, it yeah. Even, you, you know, you could say, uh, I don't know, Sean Connery is James Bond, but Sean Connery did plenty of other stuff. Yeah, totally. There was a case at a time when it was like TV actors, so you would have, um, or, you know, Christopher Reeves is a Superman, but he still did plenty of other stuff. But this is just, it, it, it was the role he kept going back to. Uh, and I know one of the things that we talked about before was. Topol basically played tevia until he couldn't anymore and he just retired then like he was halfway through a tour as tevia and he couldn't and i think he had some health issues and he's like well i'm done i'm retired and yeah you know, he's basically in a retirement community as best we can tell
3: oh he's still alive he's still alive he's still alive. Oh, i didn't know that that is news to me huh? that's good to hear i just it's such a cool career to have just to play Tevya for your entire life and then take a little break to go be Zarkov for a while. <laughs> it sounds fun.
2: It, it pays the bills. It pays the yeah. bills. I I I wonder... It'd be great to get his honest thoughts on it if he's the... If he's if he feels it's such a rich part and he can do so much and he gets to sort of tinker with it a little bit here or there and have fun and knowing that that, that, that job's always there. Or if it was like the... You know, one-hit wonder who still tours, and well, I was like, "Well, I guess we're gonna play play Saves You Dance Again' tonight
3: because." <laughs> <laughs> Men without hats, classic. Yeah, it is like ah.
1: he is. Uh, by the way, he is 82 years old.
3: Ah, okay. That's actually not as old as I would have thought. He looks older than I guess he looks older than he is in these in these movies. Both yeah, Fiddler he's on only, the Roof and uh, uh, Flash Gordon.
1: Forty-four when they would have been filming this movie, which
3: is oh, okay. oh my
1: god, Brad. That's only two years older than me
3: that wow. is that is, oh.
2: that, is oh. Oh. that is my age that is my oh
1: no oh no
2: well here's the thing uh you, when you get to the point first off people were just older then. i it's it's a it's a hard <laughs> thing to point out but you know 40 used to be a lot older than it is now per, perhaps that's just right. me you know kidding myself but uh <laughs> What really scared me is, um, and I think this is something that's been known for a while, um, but I just recently heard this. Um, Wilford Brimley, when he was in Cocoon, uh, and I imagine most of us are familiar with it, a very good movie about you know people in a retirement community, find, basically finding the fountain of the youth in his instead of da. real Wilford Brimley played one of the. Um, uh retirement community people and he was only 49 years old when he was in that movie and i was like what the hell that's it's just five years older than me am i coming up on my wilford brimley years
3: <laughs> some people just don't age as gracefully i guess it's probably the diabetes
2: it might be, it must be the diabetes uh, or there's just a handful of um people but it, There's some actors, specifically, that just look like they're in their 80s from the day they're born. They, they like, start off at Benjamin Button, but they don't bother with age in Reverse. They just... (laughs) You know, and I guess it's Wilford Brimley, and and then as soon as I found this out, I started looking for pictures of young Wilford Brimley. Couldn't find it. It's like, well, there he is in, you know, there he is in 1905, still looking like an old, cranky man. (laughs) Um, you know, he he
0: just... he,
2: He basically... I don't know. It's like some sort of reverse Dorian Gray, where there's just a picture of really young him somewhere that isn't aging. Um, but yeah, him and Sam Elliott—they just have always been old men.
3: Oh yeah, Sam Elliott for sure. He's one of those guys. And Patrick Stewart's another person who is basically timeless. But he never was like an old man. He was always just been like looking like he's middle aged. And yeah, which is, you know, good for him. If I looked like Patrick Stewart all the time, I would have it made.
2: Yeah, just stick him. Um, all right, so what else do we have for minute 79, Eric?
1: Uh, I wanted to call out um, with, the, with the Hawkman evacuating the city. Um, I don't know if this was a budgetary issue or if it just was the end of a long day and they said screw it. But, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, a movie that was, you know, came out, what, 45 years or so, 40, 45 years before Flash Gordon, they show the flying monkeys take off. They don't show in this giant evacuation scene. You don't actually see one Hawk person on the ground lifting up and taking flight.
2: You are right. It's just, yeah.
0: Yeah,
3: I I definitely noticed that.
2: (laughs) You see some guys sort of walking away, and then you see some Hawkmen in the background. It's like, uh, yeah, takeoffs are tough. Uh, I think if there's one thing that we learned from Star Trek, uh, landings and takeoffs mm-hmm. those are tough. You, you try to figure out a way not yep. to show that stuff. Uh, by the way, Wizard of Oz released August 25th, 1939.
1: All right, so 41 years before Flash Gordon, and
2: they were able to do it. Yeah, they were able to do it. So, but uh, uh, I guess they just uh, they were just saving that takeoff and you know landing budget because they, they needed uh, you know they need that budget for. Yeah, you know, the, the handguns
3: and the bulging <laughs> eyeballs
2: yeah and that stuff ain't cheap well speaking of bulging eyeballs i i just i can't
1: you know i'm i got some post-clitus malaise here i just can't quite <laughs> i can't quite let go of them. Uh, and so uh, a previous guest and i apologize for not remembering which guest it was told us about peter Wingard's spoken word album <laughs> and i i i went on youtube And some of the songs from that are on YouTube. If you go to YouTube search bar and you type in Peter Wingard album, you you can hear this. If you want to treat your ears to just an incredibly bizarre experience, just go to YouTube, Peter Wingard album, and just sit back and enjoy. It is so incredibly far out there. I absolutely love that, Brad, your your boy, William Shatner, with his Has Been album, has got nothing on Peter Wingard.
2: It's, uh, yeah, I think we actually played one of his songs at the end of an episode. Ah, okay. Uh, we should do another one. Uh, or, or who knows, might just be the same one, because, I, I, but, uh, yeah, I did listen to a couple of songs, and it's, it's crazy, and I am, uh, <laughs> I am on a record, uh, Kevin, as a, uh, fan of the william shatner album has been and oh hell yeah ironically
3: no you're in good company um i i've only heard it once i loved it but you know who's a big fan is sam stovold my co-host and roommate he loves that album and he plays it around the house all the time <laughs> so you're not alone there are others out there
2: it, it is a uh, very good album it, basically i'm a huge ben Folds fan who oh, produced me too. that so he you know, really
3: produced that.
2: That's cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's basically a Ben Folds William Shatner album.
2: Yeah. Awesome. There was a wonderful interview. Uh, ben and William Shatner were interviewed on the Howard Stern Show, um, and of course they were just taking. Oh yeah, I know
1: that appearance. <laughs> oh, so it was yeah. brilliant because they're just
2: taking terrible shots at him, and uh, they're playing some of it. And Artie Lang, who was sort of the sidekick at that point, said. This sounds like a this sounds like I'm at a Ben Foltz concert, William Shatner standing next to me won't shut up. <laughs> Shatner doesn't have uh, he doesn't have Wingard's voice. So even though he's not singing, Peter Wingard still just has such a m- melodious voice. He sounds great. It sounds great sent to music. And you can't say that about Shatner. Right.
1: It's just, it's got such an awesome voice and the stuff he's saying is just so, it's just just completely insane. You're just like, what the hell is he talking about?
2: It's some sort of, yeah, he's basically reciting some sort of weird beat poetry short stories. But there's also
1: one where like, hes it's a monologue, where he, one half of a dialogue, really, where he's talking to a woman that he's in the middle of seducing in his apartment, though. But you don't hear the woman speaking, you just hear him speaking.
2: Yeah, it's crazy stuff. It's, uh, but fun, and the, the music behind it's very pretty. Uh, it, it sort of sounds like something you might hear at a Renaissance Fair, a couple of the songs. But eh, I like Renaissance Fairs.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and speaking of music, uh, Howard Blake, number 38. Right at the end of this minute, foreboding music kicks in as Ming's ship uh, first appears.
3: So maybe you guys can... I, I don't know much about the music. I know that basically my familiarity with uh, this movie came from uh, my love of Queen. I grew up... Queen was the first band that I got into. I was probably like seven or eight years old when my mom bought me some Queen albums. And I became kind of like obsessed and went out and bought all of their albums... The Flash Gordon soundtrack was I remember the very last one that I bought. I was like slowly like over the course of 2 years buying them all as a very young child. And I got the Flash Gordon album cuz I was like, "Well, I love the Flash song, obviously, but I don't know any of these other songs, so I don't know how I'm going to feel about it." And you know, to this day it's I'm not going to lie, it's the queen album I've listened to the least. <laughs> but, you know, that really is most of my familiarity is with this movie is through that soundtrack i've seen the movie maybe partially once as a child but i think i i didn't quite get it as a kid but anyways i actually was surprised by watching it after having listened to the soundtrack a few times how little of it seems like it's queen music and maybe you guys can fill me in just because i don't know exactly how the score was handled because you keep talking about howard <laughs> blake so i know there's a few there's a handful of moments that are clearly this is queen stuff going on right now but uh, most of it seemed to me like it was actually orchestral score And it must be this Howard Blake fellow. So do you guys mind taking a second to explain that to me?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, And then anyone, uh, in addition to Kevin, listen to our bonus episode where we interview Howard Blake about the score. Um, Oh, you do? Awesome. That's great. go back. uh, Posted it a couple of weeks ago uh, as we're recording this. Um, But he, uh, you know, long story short, uh, Queen did some of the music, but they needed to fill in the rest of the movie. The original composer that they had. Uh, basically flaked out and so they had to bring in Howard Blake with basically no notice he and wrote he mis-
3: blaked out sorry <laughs> well he almost
1: died actually which, oh wow uh, i will leave uh, the the story to uh, our interview with him uh sure. and he, he he somehow got this score done to fill in the rest of the movie and you know much like you say you know a lot of people know this movie best solely because of the famous theme song And Mm -hmm. most people you think of this movie think, oh, you know, Queen did the music for that. But, uh, you know, there's probably, I mean, uh, boy, I'd have to really sit down and geek out to do this. But there's probably more seconds of Howard Blake's score in the movie than there are Queen music. I bet if you did a a full time comparison.
3: Yeah, I believe it. I think the the entire Flash Gordon Queen album is like barely over half an hour i feel like
2: yeah it's less than 40 minutes for sure yeah and that's the album they are not playing the full songs on uh, the full queen songs it's they're using the queen music and it's used very well but it's used to really you know punch home some of the big moments of the film um and Howard blake who, who was a great interview he was such a nice guy um and uh, so generous with his time but yeah he um yeah, he, he had uh, an uh, unbelievably short period of time to throw, throw this score together. And it, it's such a f- crazy, campy, funny movie. And he was able to um, cr- create or an orchestral story that was able to highlight that. And uh, it, it was really impressive. He, he, very nice gentleman. He's had a nice career he he's not uh he hasn't had John Williams success or uh, Danny Elfman or anything like that but uh he's been able to score some uh TV shows and what was it uh, American Airlines uh, it was uh, British, uh, Air, British, British, British Airways,
3: Airways. Airways oh man for a second i was thought you were going to tell me that he did the American Airlines safety video and i was <laughs> beyond excited no sorry it's virgin airlines that's what i'm thinking of the one that they have I don't know if you guys know about it, but Virgin Airlines has this extended like five-minute song and dance number that they do as their safety video that they show on every flight, and it's insane. I encourage anyone to look it up. It's just, I can't believe it's real.
2: Yeah, no, um, yeah. Uh, he did not do that. He did, no. however. Uh, British Airways has a, an iconic advertisement in this, you know, just, just great big sound to it, and he did that. And he, uh, he talked about it just a lot of pride and Um, about that piece of music, and I I think he still makes quite a bit of money off of that every year. I think the residual check from that probably has uh, provided a nice life for him.
3: Good.
2: All right, so, yeah. um, All right, so, Kevin, to share with our listeners uh, where they can hear more of you in, in podcast world.
3: Uh, You can always hear more of me uh, on Reopening the Wormhole, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast where we watch every episode of Deep Space Nine in random order. We have something like 40 episodes to go, so get in while it's hot and come enjoy them. We're we're in the middle of doing every Star Trek movie, so look out for those.
2: Oh, every Star Trek movie?
3: Yes, well, we're doing them slowly over the course of, you know, a few months. We just did Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock is up next at some point in the next few months.
1: Now let me ask you this: Considering that a voyage, uh, Voyager. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm showing my uh, <laughs> my biases. Considering that a Deep Space Nine episode is about forty two, forty three minutes, and you guys, as you said, uh, usually run past three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, a a theatrical movie is two hours long. About <laughs> so, what does that do to your podcast runtime?
3: It really depends. Um, it uh the it it can it can balloon out of can like we for some reason the longest like podcast we did about a movie was for the final frontier number five which we've already done and we talked for almost three hours about that and that movie is awful (laughs) yes it's it's a really bad movie um which one was that which one was that number five that is the one uh shatter directed it and it's the one basically where they're searching for god in yeah
2: yeah it's a nightmare Oh, it's so horrible.
3: <laughs> it's, like, unwatchable
2: Trivia question. Uh, and yeah, I imagine you'll know this, but yeah, you never know. I'm sometimes surprised. So, uh, what was it? Cybok, uh, Spock's brother. Uh, who did uh, Shatner originally want to cast in that role?
3: Man, I feel like uh, we talked about this, and i trying to remember. Because he looks like Sean Connery. Was it somebody like Sean Connery?
2: It was Sean Connery. Okay, cool. <laughs> sort of the nod to it is, uh, what was it, the, the, the Vulcan name for Paradise was Sha'Kari. And it's like, oh, it's that's Sean Connery.
3: Oh, wow, I didn't even know that. That's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, I love Lawrence Luckinbill, who's one of the highlights of that shitty movie, but good for him.
2: <laughs> it's a bad movie. Um, it's bad proof that I, it, it, some not every single direct uh, not every single single actor needs to direct, and uh, definitely not somebody with uh, alleged ego issues. So it's like, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna direct it. I yeah. think I'll punch out God in this movie. <laughs> uh.
3: Yes, that is very true. Because Leonard Nimoy did at least one really great Star Trek movie, and another that was at least pretty good. But Shatner's sucked.
2: Yeah, well, Nimoy was a good director. Uh, Before that, he, um, what was it? He he directed Three Men and a Baby. Now, that's not necessarily the sort of movie that would lead you to believe that he could do a science fiction film, but (laughs) still, um, he had at least experience with directing. And I I think that was his only... um, Star Trek V was Shatner's only like. Big screen directing. Am I right
3: on that? Uh, probably. I don't know for certain, but I, I, have a, I have a feeling it was. And it should be. <laughs> if it's not.
2: But, I, th- I think
1: of the um, George Takei's audiobook when he gets to the part where he finds out that Shatner's going to be directing the next movie, and it's well established what George Takei thinks of uh, William Shatner. And mm-hmm. he learns that he learns Shatner's going to direct, and he just goes,
3: Oh my <laughs> God! <laughs> It's, that's how I'd react, to. You know, I, I saw William Shatner, like, live. I talked about this on the podcast. It happened, like, a few years ago. But I saw him live. He was touring around. And he talked a lot about his experience shooting um, Generations and a lot about other stuff. He he said that he doesn't really talk to George Takei that much. They're not really that close anymore. But he also talked about how he openly talked about this, how when he was shooting Generations, he kept, like, moving at, on, during his death scene, so they couldn't use any of the shots because Shatner was determined to not let Captain Kirk die, so he kept like breathing or moving or rooting the shots of his dead body. <laughs> it's like what kind of hole <laughs> are you? What kind of? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's he's the worst, but boy, that was fun seeing him live. He's a he's an interesting My hole.
2: My understanding is that's just basically the buck on him, where he's really difficult. He's can be just is not. Sometimes he can be great with fans, sometimes he can be terrible with fans. I think it takes a lot to um, sort of corral him. Uh, If you can, it's great. If not, you're in for just a long, hard road. (laughs) By the way, looking at, I checked his filmography. He is credited on Wikipedia, at least, with directing One Other Thing, a 2002 film called Groom Lake that starred Amy Acker. Uh, oh. And the, the movie doesn't even have... It, it just basically has a thumb a thumbnail entry on Wikipedia. So it's like, wow.
3: Still kind of exciting to know that William Shatner directed Amy Acker in something. You know, I'm a big fan of hers from Angel.
2: Yeah, she's wonderful, but...
3: <laughs> Can't imagine the two of them interacting.
2: Well, I just... Also i think it just sort of says something about the movie is like hey who's gonna start your movies like the fourth lead from angel in 2002 (laughs) oh so so we're not we're not getting a wide release is what you're saying
3: i think at that point i'm not actually even sure if she was on angel at that point or she had just got on angel at that point so she was definitely at the beginning of her career
2: sounds great so um all right well we recommend everyone check out uh reopening the wormhole uh, Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute?
1: Find out more on Facebook, Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. On Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod. And email, FlashGordonMinute at gmail.com.
2: We uh, kindly ask for your ratings reviews on iTunes. It helps improve our visibility. Uh, we want more people to find us and more people to join the fun. And it is fun. We're having a great time. And I know, Eric, you're sort of recovered, I hope, uh, from the loss of Paraclitus. Uh, uh, he's he's with us in our heart. But, you know, moving on. Um, I have other things that I'm sort of... It's just sort of a worry that's sticking in the back of my head. Do tell. Well, as we're recording this, it was just announced. Just announced. Director James Gunn has been fired from directing Guardians of the Galaxy 3 from Marvel. Because they found some really, really poor taste representing jokes on Twitter from him from 10 years ago. And I just think, oh my God, what happened if somebody were to examine uh, very closely my Twitter account from years ago? Because really, I think I just spent a lot of my time just making fun of Canadians. And uh, what will that do to this show?
1: Oh, you hoser. You're making fun of Canadians, eh? We were just ripping on William Shatner also. (laughs) The land of John Candy and SCTV and the Toronto Blue Jays and CFL and... Labatts, how could you? But if you're concerned about Prince Edward Island or uh, Manitoba or Saskatchewan, don't worry. Flash will save every one of us.
0: Attention listeners! You can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of... Flash Gordon Minute. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, all the no friends of mine. Say, we can go where we want to. We can act like we come from out of this world Leave the real one far behind We can dance We can go if we want to Night is young and so am I And we can dress real neat From our hats to our feet And surprise them with a victory cry Say, we can act if we want to If we don't, nobody will and you can act real rude and totally removed, and I can act like an imbecile. I say oh, we can dance, oh, we can dance, everything's out of control. Oh, we can dance, oh, we can dance, We're doing it from the to We can dance, oh, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. Oh, we can dance, oh, we can dance, everybody's taking the chance. Dance. Safe to dance, it's oh, safe to dance. Yes, save the dance. We can dance in the water, we've got all your... As long as we abuse it, never gonna lose it, everything'll work out right. I see we can dance if we wanna, we can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well they're no friends of mine. I see we can dance, we can dance, everything's out of control. But we can dance, we can dance, we're doing it from pole to pole. But we can dance, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. We can dance, we can dance Everybody's making a chance It's safe to dance 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 Oh, let's